I want to, before I dismiss the children's, the children's church, to thank you for allowing me to serve your, as your pastor for these past 25 years. Uh, years have flown by, but I am very grateful for the love you have shown me and my family. I was sitting there thinking, man, it'd be great if my family could be here. And they opened the door and somebody was working behind the scenes and almost all my family is here. And uh, I am not giving up and still believing and praying that one day Emma will be here with my entire family. We believe that, pray that, and cling to that. At this time, I'll dismiss the children that have pre-registered to make their way to Children's Church. Uh, Amy and Pastor Nathan are there at the door. And as they're making their way, and parents, as you're going with them or sending them, if the rest of you will open your Bibles to John chapter 15. This morning, our text will be verses 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11. I believe that every word of the Bible is inspired and infallible. It's all true and relevant. But I think there is something unique when you read the words of Jesus in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. The reason I think they're unique is those are words that are spoken before Jesus, by Jesus, just before his death. In a few hours, he's going to be arrested and crucified. So I think the last words that a person speaks to those closest to him are very poignant. So let's hear some of these words as Jesus spoke to the disciples and speaks to us. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for the mercy you have given to us. And now, Lord, as we open your word, I ask you, Father, that you would speak to us. As we have just sung in, a, in, in prayer, that you would speak to us, Lord. Let your word do its work within us. Give us ears to hear it, Father. And beyond that, give us hearts that will be, be changed by your word. 
Let us hunger for this, that we might abide in you and that the Father may be glorified. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Mike Moffat is a writer who lives in San Francisco. He writes for a website called the sfgate.com. It's just a, a small website that just promotes beings and goings-on. It's kind of like a news and neighbor around San Francisco. Well, earlier this year, he wrote a story about a friend of his by the name of Kaylee Wilkes. He wrote it just as kind of a tongue-in-cheek humor, one of those stories you read and kind of have a laugh about others and yourself. Because Kaylee, while she wouldn't consider herself to have a green thumb, she liked plants. She enjoyed them. And so she picked up a succulent at a store. Now, I have to confess to you, I had to look up what a succulent is. It's like a cactus plant. It doesn't require a lot of water. Very hardy, healthy plant that survives easily unless I'm trying to grow it. Then I kill it quickly. So she bought this succulent and was thrilled about it. For a, for a year, she had taken care of it. Watered it on a fairly regular basis as it you know, may have needed it. But she was concerned that it wasn't growing. So she thought, you know, what it needs is a bigger pot. Once I transfer it to a larger bowl, then it will really take off. So she started that process and discovered that her succulent was not a real plant. It was plastic. For a year, she had been watering this plastic plant, wondering why it wasn't growing. There was no life. No real roots. Therefore, no growth. Authentic Christianity is the exact opposite of that. For the authentic Christian, there is life. And because there is life, there are roots that are in Christ. That's the only way life occurs. And because there are roots in Christ, there is growth because the Christian is abiding in Jesus. The language of abiding permeates this chapter. Now, to abide means to remain in, to be in. We've learned a, a, ter a phrase this year due to the pandemic that teaches what abiding means. Earlier this year when the pandemic began, we heard the command or the request, shelter in place. Don't move. That's abiding. Stay put. Remain. Don't try to leave or get out of. Now, Jesus does not try to define that term with a, a specific definition. Rather, to help us understand what abiding means, he gives us a word picture, a metaphor, that of a vine with its branches. So in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, true means authentic, real. He is the real deal when it comes to being a vine. And what that implies is that there are vines that have come before that were not authentic. They were plastic. They did not give life. If you were to do a word study in the Old Testament on vine, you would find that it is frequently used in reference to the people of God, Israel. But it's always used of Israel in the context of judgment. That God is getting ready to judge his people because they were a vine that never produced fruit. They were a fruitless vine and therefore God brought judgment against Israel. So when Jesus says that he is the true vine, he is saying that he is the real vine that gives real life, that always bears real fruit. Because he is the true vine, if we are connected with him, we will produce fruit. And that fruit is the sign of authentic Christianity. So that means we need to ask a very important question. 
what is this fruit? If we are abiding in Christ, what is the fruit that will be the characteristic of our lives showing that we are truly abiding in Christ? Let me use an example that is obvious. You know a tomato plant is a tomato plant by the way that it looks and it grows tomatoes. You don't expect grapes to be on a tomato plant. So if we as Christians are connected to that vine and that vine is Christ, what that means is that Christ-likeness will be the fruit that is produced. We'll become more like Jesus if we are followers of Jesus. That means that in our actions and in our character, Jesus will be revealed. It means being as Jesus is and doing what Jesus would do. It means following the model that Jesus set and being obedient to the will of God. Russell Moore, the president of the Southern Baptist Religious and Ethics Commission, put it like this. He said, we often emphasize that we are to ask Jesus into our lives, but it's more accurate to say that Jesus is inviting us into his life. And when we are in the life of Jesus, our lives will be transformed to represent that. You see, when you read the Gospels, encountering Jesus brought about transformation. Whether it be Mary Magdalene or the Gadarene demoniac who was so possessed of demonic spirits he was running naked among tombs yet when he encounters Jesus and the disciples find this man who was once under under the control of the demonic what do they find a man fully clothed and in his right mind why he encountered and was transformed by Jesus but that transformation is dependent upon abiding now justification being made right with God is instantaneous at the moment of faith But the process of transformation and bearing fruit is just that. It is a process that takes time called sanctification. And that sanctification is dependent upon abiding in Christ. Which begs the question, how do we abide in Jesus? Is abiding in Him something for the super spiritual? Is it for that monk who is sequestered in a monastery so that he can spend day after day, hour upon hour, in prayer and reading the Word? Is it for that super spiritual saint who spends three hours a day in prayer? And I would say it is for every believer. The call to abide is given to every disciple. And abiding in Christ begins by being made clean with Christ. Now skip to verse 3. We will come back to verse 2. I want to move around the passage quite a bit. Verse 3, Jesus makes a statement, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's speaking to the disciples. So he goes from talking about he is the vine and bearing fruit to being clean. Which tells us that there is a connection in being clean and being in the vine. Jesus says you are clean. You are free from pollution. You are free from corruption because of the word that I've spoken to. You know, we understand more about being clean today. Of course, in the the days around us, we hear more about washing of hands and using hand sanitizer. So if you would, the Purell that Jesus offers us for our souls and our lives is his word. His word makes us clean. You see, Jesus spoke words that to those that heard them were shocking when he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, that was shocking because only God has the authority to forgive sins. So when Jesus said he forgave sins, he was making an implicit claim that he is God. And that claim we see was validated by the cross and the resurrection. So they are clean because of Jesus' word and speaking them clean, just as we are, and the cross and the resurrection that occurred afterward. But the connection of clean to branches is like this. 
Jesus' word is like the sap that runs through the vine, giving life to the branches. His word gives life. It's our responsibility to drink deeply of that word. Look down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, do you get the duality of that? We abide in him and there's a connection as his words abide in us. The word is crucial to abiding in Christ. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It is our responsibility to be in the word regularly, continually, faithfully. As I shared earlier, we were so thrilled when we were allowed to bring him a home yesterday. Friday afternoon, when we were in the hospital, Jody needed to get out for just a few hours, so she left me there in the hospital room with Emma, which I know always makes her nervous, and I understand that and accept that. And it never fails. As I'm there with Emma, her oxygen level started to drop. We always monitor her blood saturation, or oxygen level in her blood. Usually Emma's between 95 and 100, and it started dropping to the low 90s, and it got to the 80s. And so I did everything that I'd been taught to do. I suctioned her trach, checked everything, readjusted her in the bed, did everything I was taught to do. And it still wasn't coming up, and I was breaking out in this panic sweat. And I was getting ready to call the nurses when I looked down and noticed that as I had adjusted her somehow, her oxygen tube had become disconnected. That's why it was dropping. And at that point, I realized I had been using the wrong image to describe my relationship with Jody regarding the care of Emma. Used to, I said that Jody was Batman when it came to taking care of Emma, and I was Robin. That's not appropriate anymore. She's, she's the skipper, and I'm Gilligan. That's very more apropos. But the oxygen was there. She just wasn't connected. The word is there. The issue is, are we connected to it? Are we taking it in? And the sign that we are taking it in will be obedience. You see, obedience comes from being in the Word so that you get this, this cycle. Jesus makes us clean by His Word. The Word dwells within us as we abide in the Word, which draws us into obedience. And obedience brings us back to the Word, which makes us clean, which makes us abide in the Word, which makes us clean again and abiding and obedient. Look down, if you will, to verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Obedience is the mark of abiding, and obedience brings us to abide more. As we do so, we are following the model of Jesus, because look what He said in verse 10. He said, I've kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. So as we keep His commandments, we will abide in that same love. An example of the commandments that we are to obey is found in verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, if we followed that commandment, really there would be no need for any other commandments. If we are to abide in Christ, we must love one another. Because genuine spiritual vitality is revealed by obedience. Brennan Manning is a, an author, and I read this quote that I'm about to share with you probably 15 years ago, but it has always stuck with me. And it's just as true now as it was then. Brennan Manning wrote, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You see, abiding matters. 
not just to our spiritual health, but for the witness in the world around us. Look, if you will, at verse 8. Notice, Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified. So how is God glorified? The answer comes next. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abiding glorifies God. God is honored as we bear fruit that reflects Jesus. Furthermore, it matters because fruitfulness is proof of authentic discipleship. It proves that we are indeed followers of Jesus. That's what it says clearly at the end of verse 8. Prove to be my disciples as we bear fruit. When I was growing up, there was an old game show called Name That Tune. The show was premised on the title. There would be two contestants and there would be like an orchestra there. And they would each, in a way, make a bid on how few notes it would take for them to name the tune. So they would start out, I can name that tune in five notes. I can name that tune in four notes. I can name that tune in three notes. And then the next contestant would say, that's your cue. Name that tune. You know what they were saying? Prove it. You said you can do it? Prove it. Verse 8 is teaching us that the way we prove our faith in Christ is through obedience. The world seeks proof of our faith and our obedience should be evident to say our faith is valid. That means loving our neighbor even when we disagree. It means speaking the truth in love. It means being compassionate. It means caring for the poor. It means seeking justice. You see, there's a lot at stake in abiding our witness to the world. And if we fail to abide, the risk of being set apart by God. I return now to verses 2 and 6. These are warning passages. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that is God, who is the gardener, takes away. Look down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now he is speaking to disciples. Remember, he's already said they are clean. So some take those warnings to mean that a believer could actually lose their salvation because they don't bear fruit. I don't think that's what that means because that would contradict what Jesus taught earlier. Hear these words from our Lord. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What you read in verse 15 would be casting out. He says, I will never cast them out. He says in verse 39 of John 6, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I'll lose none that are given to me. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So I don't think we can interpret and apply those verses in chapter 15 as saying you could lose your salvation. Rather, I think they are a warning that must be understood in the context of the vineyard imagery. You see, he's saying that when a vine isn't growing, when the branches aren't growing, they're cut off. They're useless. They get in the way so they don't experience that vitality. I think this is a warning saying that if we do not abide in Christ and we are lacking vitality... We are useless to the kingdom. We will not experience the life that God desires for us. And the language of fire found in verse 16 is not the fire of hell. It is the fire of God's judgment. I'd remind you that believer, believers, every believer will stand before God. Not to determine our salvation. That's determined in Christ. But to give an account for our faith. 
to give an account for our obedience, to give an account for our works or lack thereof. So to me, these verses are a warning that should cause us to gauge our spiritual life. Is your walk with God marked by vitality or lethargy? Is it active or apathetic? If it is, let this be the day where we say, Lord, I want to return to bear fruit. Because this passage not only gives two warnings, it also gives us three promises to those who abide in Christ. First promise is this, you abide in Christ, you will have an effective prayer life. Look at verse 7. Abide in me, abide in my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this is not a, a name it, claim it verse. I want you to understand that what happens is you abide in Christ, you begin to think and understand the mind of Christ so that your prayers reflect that. So that just as Jesus did and prayed the will of the Father, we do and pray the will of the Father. And that's relational. It's saying there's a deepening of relationship where you come to understand what God desires. Uh, you all know, because I've used more and more golf illustrations, that three years ago I took up the game of golf, for better or worse. It makes it sound like it was a marriage vow. I'm such a nerd that it's not just content for me to play it. I read for fun. Uh, I have serious books I read for study and preparation. I have fun books that I read. And I've been reading a lot of fun golf books. Not just about golf. This is how bad it is. I read about caddies. Yes, I've read books on caddying and what that means. And the amazing thing is there's a relationship between the professional player and his caddy. A good caddy understands the needs of the player he's caddying for. You see, some players, they need the caddy to be involved. It's like a committee meeting. Well, what club should you think I should use here? Should I do this? What do you see? What do you see? Some players want that, and so the caddy is very vocal. But other times, for example, like the caddy for Tiger Woods, Joe LaCava, he said, Tiger doesn't want any input. Tiger knows what club he's going to hit, when he's going to hit it. If he asks me, I'll tell him. Otherwise, I keep quiet. But it was interesting, last year in the Masters Tournament, Tiger started the back nine off with a bogey. I know, it's disgusting that I know that right now. His caddy did this. He took the ball that Tiger had just shot a bogey with. He put it in his pocket and gave Tiger a brand new ball. He said, psychologically, I was telling him, that's behind. It's a new ball, new hole. Go. That came from walking with Tiger and knowing him. That's what this is getting at. As we walk with the Lord and abide with Him, we begin to understand the mind of Christ. And so our prayers are transformed so that we're seeking Him and His glory as we lay our needs before Him. That's where prayer becomes effective. Relationally, not done by rote, not done out of a sense of, well, I've got to pray this, but from the heart out of a relationship. That deepening faith that's reflected in effective prayer also is reflected in experiencing the love of God. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. See, the second promise is this. You abide in Christ, you will grow deeper in His love. And isn't that what we long to know? That we are loved? Not with a love that is fickle and fading, but with a love that is faithful and lasts forever. That's what he is saying. You will grow not just in the theoretical knowledge of knowing that he is loved, but in the experience of that. That comes as we abide. And that leads to the third promise. Joy. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
You see, joy is connected to love. And love is connected to the hope that we have in Christ. Last week, Nathan preached about the peace the world gives from John chapter 14. The peace that the world gives is different from the peace of God, just as the love, the joy of God is different from the joy of the world. See, our joy is based on the confidence that God is with us and will never fail us. It's based on hope. And because of that, we know that God is at work. You see, when you understand that as we abide in Christ, we will experience deeper communion with Him that affects our prayers. We will experience love and joy. You understand why God prunes us. Look at verse 2. When we bear fruit, guess what? God prunes us. Now, pruning sounds painful, and at times it is. It speaks of the discipline of God. So why does God discipline us? Not to punish us. Why? So we can bear more fruit. Which means we will experience deeper intimacy with Christ, more joy, and more love. God disciplines us because He loves us so that we will have more of that. So this morning I ask you, don't miss what God has for you. Stuart Briscoe has been the pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin for years. Even dating back to when the Cold War era was still in place. During that period in the Cold War, he was able to get into Poland for a series of preaching and teaching meetings. And one night, in the dead of winter, he was literally under the cover of night, tucked away, hidden, and snuck into a meeting, a dilapidated house where there were a hundred students that had gathered. He began teaching them from John 15 about abiding. Ten minutes into his message, the power goes out. It's totally dark. The interpreter leans over toward him and says, just keep preaching, keep preaching. So Stuart said, I couldn't see my Bible, I couldn't see my notes, but I kept preaching about abiding in Christ. When the lights came on, every student in that house was on their knees. And they remained on their knees till the message was done. The next day, Stuart mentioned that to to one of the students that was there. And he said, "What, what was that about? He said, Stuart, what you don't know is we remained on our knees the remainder of the night. Because we had never heard about abiding in Christ. We didn't want to miss it. Is that our hunger? Say, Lord, I don't want to miss abiding in you. Let today be the day you commit to abide in Christ, to be in his word and to obey. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. I recognize that during this period, we're not doing a traditional invitation, but that does not mean you cannot respond where you are. I recognize That our flesh will gravitate toward guilt. Oh, I'm a horrible person because I don't read my Bible. I'm a horrible because I don't abide. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit's telling you, forget about the past. You are loved by God through Christ. Let today be that new day. You may take two steps forward and a step back. Don't stop. Be in the word. Strive to obey. Begin where you are. And I want to pray this morning to that end. Father, help us. Our hearts often lead us away from abiding in you. And the messages that we hear overwhelm us so that our minds are unfocused. And we don't think of you as we should. Lord, help us through these things. Forgive us, Lord, and draw us closer to you. Give us a desire to abide in you. To let the vitality of your word flow through us. To give us joy and love and the intimacy of communion with you. 
Grant this, Father, we pray that you may be glorified and the world know the truth of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray.